Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Stardate. What's the date? (laughs) That's definitely how we're starting. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week's guest is Brooke Gladstone. Brooke Gladstone! The best! She's my favorite. (laughs) You may know her as the co-host of On the Media, which is the Peabody Award-winning podcast and radio show from WNYC. One of my very favorite things to listen to every week. On the Media is excellent. But this week, we are actually talking to Brooke about something special. The deal on Nerdette is we like to talk to well-known people about their little-known obsessions. And Brooke is obsessed with a little, fairly obscure television show called Star Trek. Obviously, I was joking when I said it's obscure. It's a very well-known television show. I don't have to tell you that. But Trisha, I think one thing we should acknowledge as the co-hosts of a show called Nerdette is the fact that neither of us actually are super huge Star Trek fans. Are you telling the people that? I think we have to tell the people that. Will they come at us with pitchforks? I don't think so. I think they'll understand. I mean, we were both into many other super nerdy things. I did watch some Voyager. It's worth noting. That show came out when I was 10, and my mom and I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I watched bits and pieces. I'm not yeah. not a fan. Right. I'm just we're not, not haters. <laughs> I'm just not as well-versed in it as Brooke Gladstone, exactly. that's for sure. Exactly. Brooke has been a fan of the show since the very beginning, which is why I wanted to hear what she thinks about the brand new version from CBS, Star Trek colon Discovery. Discovery. I feel like we've done a weird thing under that where we've decided mm, somehow the that we articulate all colons. I think it's my fault. Yeah, it's your fault. I like punctuation very much. And it, it's hard to translate on the podcast. So we're just going to start saying them out loud, period. So you'll hear what Brooke Gladstone has to say about Star Trek colon Discovery. Exclamation point. In just a minute. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Oh, no. I've created a monster. And later on for the phone hyphen a hyphen friend (laughs) part of the show. Wait, phone a friend? Phone a nerd. Let's call it phone a nerd. Phone a nerd. Yeah. We're calling up a certain Star Trek legend. Oh, we're going to say that at the top? You don't want to keep this a surprise? Yeah, but I'll whisper it like I whispered the other part. Yes, you have to whisper for gravity. It's Captain Janeway. Yes, it's Kate Mulgrew, guys. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Brooke, welcome to Nerdette. (laughs) Great to be here. This is exactly where I belong. Although I have to say, it's not much of a dark secret. Uh, (laughs) I actually, on the 40th anniversary of Star Trek, since I am the, you know, czarina of my little pond, I actually (laughs) devoted, like, 
14 minutes of On the Media to looking back on all the iterations of Star Trek and slash fiction and all that it means. That was an excellent retrospective for those of us like me who are novice fans of Star Trek, but I will admit <laughs> oh, really? that I grew up in more of a Star Wars household. Oh, more guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. It was my dad and my brother who set the course yeah. for our family as a Star Wars family. It's true. There is a rough divide there, you know. So, I've seen it over and over again. For you, what's the ranking of the series? So we've got the original, the animated series, The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, now Discovery, which we'll talk more about in a minute, the brand new one from CBS. Mm -hmm. But how do you rank them? Who's number one? Well, you know, here's the thing is that the original was, is so iconic. I mean, it created... The stereotypes, you know, the skeptical one, the intellectual one, the, you know, the crusty, says what he thinks one. And, of course, the, uh, so many, every single character in the original Star Trek has a cliche. Jim, I'm a doctor. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank <laughs> or logical or fascinating, as, as Spock would say. Or uh, Scotty saying, well, that's just the chance we'll have to take, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Space, a final frontier. You've seen various modulations of those characters in all the series. And uh, I think that I, I just, and I know that I'm not alone in this, all the semi-human or non-human main characters are always so fascinating because they're explicit efforts to define themselves and to build identities for themselves, you know, in, in all different iterations. I mean, obviously you have the half-human Vulcan in the original. You may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. And you have Data, one of my favorite characters of all time in uh, Next Generation, who's an android. I have found that humans often use small talk during awkward moments. Therefore, I've written a new subroutine for that purpose. And then you have Seven of Nine, who is this was a human and then becomes a Borg and then starts trying to reclaim her humanity. I understand the concept of humor. It may not be apparent, but I am often amused by human behavior. She's just an amazingly fascinating character. And also in Voyager, you have the digital doctor yeah. who has some of the greatest episodes, finding his name and wandering out of the, uh, out of the sick bay into other places. I've isolated the algorithms responsible for my desire to expand beyond my original programming. I want to delete them. Why? It was my urge to experiment. My infatuation with improving myself that led to this tragedy. It's, it's those characters that are so fascinating. Stacy, my, my sister, uh, who lives down, the sister who lives downstairs, <laughs> she was a regular viewer of Deep Space Nine, which I wasn't. And I would watch it with her. And there was some 
fascinating discussions of of race and ethnicity going on there with uh, all the different alien species and who is human and who is deserving of full rights and so on. I mean, there were episodes like that. There's a famous episode with Data in The Next Generation where they're, they have to decide whether or not he can have human rights and so on. And it's, it's a pretty heavy episode. But... Uh, I think there there was such a, a lightness to a lot of what went on in uh, the next generation. It just had a great welcoming quality to it, uh, and you could just sort of drop in at any point. So I think I'd go with that. I think that's a lot of people's favorites for that combination mm-hmm. of a little heady and a little campy. I like that combination. It's why I love Doctor mm-hmm. Who as well. Mm-hmm. What is your Star Trek origin story? What were your first memories of finding and watching the show? Here's the thing. Because I'm so old, I didn't have to actually find the show. Uh, My father, you know, tuned into it. It was, what, 1965, right? 66. I was 10. And the original show was on for only three years. Some people don't know that because it's lived forever. But the uh, original uh, James T. Kirk Spock show was only three years. We watched it. It was one of the first shows we were watching in color. <laughs> and uh, it was very meaningful. And then, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation came along. We were all primed. I am a family of five girls and one brother. And one day, you know, all of us, some of us married, some of us not, were just gathered for some holiday. I think it was Thanksgiving in my sister's house, and we all just sat on the floor and tuned in to The Next Generation. And uh, my sister's husband actually panned the room. All these, at this point, it was people in their 30s or 40s just sort of staring at the screen with open-mouthed wonder and delight, as always. It was so hilarious when you saw how absurdly engaged in the show that we all were. Of you and all your siblings, are you the biggest Star Trek fan, or do you not even pale in comparison to some of the others? <laughs> I would say there's a tie between me and uh, and my sister Stacy that lives downstairs. But in all honesty, I, I think my sister Lisa would take umbrage of that at that. <laughs> and there's uh, actually I have a niece, Carly, whose Star Trek philia uh, may actually even exceed mine. So a multi generational. <laughs> Yeah. You mentioned that each iteration of Star Trek has felt like it had something to say about that moment in time. Why do you think science fiction is able to do that so well? Well, because it's just a big giant metaphor, right? And it's flights of the imagination. Uh, We once interviewed someone on the show who cited a study that compared futurists with science fiction writers to see who could which group of thinkers could better predict what was to come. And what they found was that the science fiction writers did a much closer job, one that really hit the nail on the head in a way that the futurists couldn't. And the reason was because the futurists were extrapolating from what was known. And, uh, so many things weren't known. They were, you know, like miniaturization, just yeah. pick one. And then you leap to the science fiction mind and they just say, okay, posit 
miniaturization and a whole universe opens up. So it's... uh, That's an interesting distinction, too, to have a group of people who identify first and foremost as futurists, like they professionally think about the future. I would assume that those folks are all super into science fiction, but maybe something about their thinking about the future in this scientific disciplined way has narrowed their worldview. A little bit, a little bit. We talk to astronauts as often as I can get away with it on Nerdette. And nearly everyone I've talked to who's been to space says they wish they could take every politician and decision maker up to just see that view of the planet as a whole unbroken entity and have that help shape the way we approach each other, whether it's interpersonal disputes, states arguing with other states, anything that we're squabbling about is uh, something that astronauts seem to all have a little better perspective on. And I think science fiction helps some of us zoom out that far. Yeah. A lot of people have talked about one of those first pictures of the Earth taken from space and uh, what impact it supposedly had. Perhaps they were imagining the impact that it should have had. But uh, it did change our perspective. Now we know what the Earth looks like. We just can't seem to go that step and place ourselves on that sphere. Star Trek has some accolades when it comes to firsts because of its futuristic setting. It did some things that other network television shows or TV shows hadn't done at the time, right? It's well known for the first interracial kiss. It's got Mm -hmm. a more international crew. Again, this humanist perspective that comes into play. Is science fiction on television you think Prime to continue to be a leader in that way for us? Or have we broken enough barriers with other types of television where it's not just for science fiction anymore? You mean in terms of breaking taboos in culture? Yeah. That kind of thing? Uh, You know, I think it's happening everywhere all the time. And right now, uh, the medium that seems to be doing the most... Some of the most exciting work is television because they figured out how to do long form storytelling without making it just an endless series of episodes. Each, you know, episode has an arc, but there is an arc to the story as a whole. And whether that's something that seems to go on forever, like Battlestar Galactica did, the the second iteration, the really good iteration, or... Orphan Black, there is, you know, an interior arc and an overall arc. And so this is why television is so great, because you can tell a story over 18 hours or 24 hours or 36 hours or six hours. And this kind of flexibility has given so much freedom to the kind of stories you tell. In a minute, we'll talk with Brooke about the new CBS Star Trek series, Star Trek colon Discovery. And red alert, <laughs> red alert. <laughs> We're getting Kate Mulgrew, a.k.a. Captain Janeway, on the phone, and we'll see what she thinks about the new Star Trek. I don't know that I'll, I'll watch it because I will say this to you, and I'll bet that Patrick Stewart and Shatner would back me on this. When you've done your own and you've had your own starship, it's so dramatic and so impactful on your life, that you're not uh, eager to examine uh, other iterations of what you have just accomplished. You're listening to Nerdettes, in case you didn't know.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, Brooke, we have both at this point seen the pilot of Discovery, which is CBS's new venture, a new story in the Star Trek franchise that actually is set 10 years before the original series. So there'll be some things, hopefully, that are familiar to diehard fans, but also hopefully that makes it a good starting point for any new fans to the world of Star Trek. What did you think of this pilot? Okay, well, one thing that I noticed when I went back and looked at some of the earlier Next Generations, I didn't do that recently, but, you know, just in watching reruns, sometimes the early ones will come up, and they were awful. I mean, you know, when you look at Jean-Luc Picard, he's just some crusty guy who hates kids. Well, you know, both of those things just were sort of abandoned later when his character deepened, and the Betazoid and the, uh, you know, the Rue and, you know, number one and so on. I mean, it was really a bunch of cardboard characters and way too much exposition. And I felt some of the writing in the pilot and even the, the episode that followed was stiff and exposition heavy. You know, well, when I met you seven years ago, yeah. you were that kind of thing. Uh, I also feel like the main character is going to have to figure out how to integrate her Vulcanness with her humanness. And the writers are going to have to figure out how to justify the behavior that she exhibits, how to square that with her Vulcan training. It, uh, there are holes. There are, they've set up a conflict too quickly and too conveniently. They've given us the sketches of the characters, but they... Uh, They didn't do a really good job of making her choice credible in in that series. So I found that frustrating. Yes, I know her parents were killed by by the Klingons and so on, but it just just wasn't good enough. It all felt like a bunch of Band-Aids. So I'm a little concerned about that. It does feel a little, too, that having your main protagonist be driven by the fact that their parents were killed feels a little bit like a comic book cliche also. Yeah. And but like I said, they do all of these series start out like comic books and probably the first series stayed that way. And hey, I got no problem with comic books. Uh, I wrote a big graphic nonfiction book in, you know, in a comic book, basically all about the media. I love the form. Yeah. And I think it has tremendous power. So, you know, the original Star Trek stayed a comic book and that that was fine with me. But I think that if anything, new series on TV now needs to have the kind of depth and subtlety that we wouldn't have demanded of Star Trek's past. You know what I mean? I think they got there. But um, but I think that, you know, this is not this is not your father's TV. 
they have to write this better. It looks great. Yeah. And the main character is appealing. I'm rooting for her, but I'm not getting her. I'm not quite understanding her yet. And uh, and I also find that the, and, and I, I'm assuming he'll grow on me, but the science officer, who's not a human, is, is just so wimpy. And, you know, <laughs> we get a little bit of his backstory, which is horrifying. Yeah. But I think that that character, like the captain, like so many characters in the next generation, will evolve and become more interesting and less just a less of just a scaredy cat to contrast with the intrepid quality of uh, of Michael, the main character. There's a kernel of what that all needs to be that is just a great workplace drama and comedy from time to time. Those folks yeah. on the brig together, we need to love their relationships for sure. Mm-hmm. But now it's just kind of standard wisecracks and things. I mean, I am withholding judgment because I know these things develop and I, and I wish it well. But uh, so far, I think that they're focusing a, too much on the special effects, which are gorgeous, and maybe too little on, on the writing and making the characters, I mean, really speak in consistent ways and not in cliches. And maybe once they get the heavy lifting of the exposition over with, that'll improve. So, you know, I'll wait, but I can't say it was a slam dunk for me. Okay, Brooke, we have a special surprise guest for you to talk to. Yeah? We're going to get her on the line now. You know, when I did my Star Trek uh, story for the 40th anniversary, I had Kate Mulgrew on, who played the captain in Voyager, and it was very exciting for me. Well, I'm I'm glad that you two don't have some sort of secret beef, because we're going to get her on the phone right now. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Trisha and Brooke, you're on with Kate Mulgrew. Oh, my God. Hi, lady. How are you? <laughs> I am so excited. Kate, you probably don't remember, but on the 40th anniversary, I spoke to you. On the 40th anniversary of what? Star Trek. Of Star Trek. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, indeed. Star Trek. And another iteration is about to be introduced. Yes. We watched it. With I have female mixed feelings. Ca- a captain. Yes. So if we're going to apply logic to this, I am not the first female captain. She, in fact, was, because this is a prequel. Ah, interesting. You've been unseated. I have. It's devastating on some level. Well, you know, you'll always be first in our hearts. Thank you. (laughs) We must change course immediately to avoid being caught in their gravity. No, keep going. This is a far more reckless course of action than I've come to expect from you, Captain. It certainly is. Brooke, you told us that one of your favorite episodes ever of Star Trek is Infinite Regress from Voyager. And Tuvix. I have to say, I also loved Tuvix. Um, Aren't you interesting? That was a very, (laughs) as I remember, challenging episode and a challenging character uh, to deal with. Uh, Tell me about it. Well, Tuvix, I just remember the actor and I Mm -hmm. remember the character and I remember that it was difficult. Now, you have to remember, Brooke, when we talk, I did... Uh, 26 of these episodes. All right, I will will stop and remind you of what what they were. What happened is that because of a transporter issue, the character Neelix, who is this friendly guy who cooks all the meals and he's, Mm -hmm. uh, who's always ribbing Tuvok, who is the incredibly upright, stiff Vulcan, Mm -hmm. there's a transporter issue and they are fused and a new person comes out. 
two Vicks. Kim to security. Intruder alert, transporter room one. Identify yourself. I'm Lieutenant Tuvok. And I'm Neelix. Sir, according to the bioscanners, he's right. Somehow their patterns have merged. Neelix and Tuvok right. becomes mm-hmm. Tuvix. Mm-hmm. And Tuvix... Wants to fight for his own identity He wants to live. Right. So you have to decide, now that you've figured out how you can separate Tuvix back into Neelix and Tuvok, whether or not Tuvix has a right to his own life. Just as I do. But restoring their lives means sacrificing mine. Captain, what you're considering is an execution. An execution. Like they used to do to murderers centuries ago. And I've committed no crime at all. Aren't you arguing for an execution, too? Of Tuvok and Neelix? I'm here. Alive. Look at me, Captain. When I'm happy, I laugh. When I'm sad, I cry. When I stub my toe, I yell out in pain. I'm flesh and blood. And I have the right to live. Right, but I didn't give it to him in the end, did I? No, you did not. No, in the same way that I didn't give Q the right to his nephews, his nephew inheriting the continuum. (laughs) His nephew wanted to commit suicide Mm -hmm. and did not wish to live forever. Mm -hmm. That was a big struggle for Janeway, very difficult, uh, because I'm I'm forward-leaning and very, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. into, into life. But I decided in the end that he should have the right to end his own life rather mm-hmm. than endure mm-hmm. infinity. Yeah. And that's, of course, in the end what I decided about Tuvix, because these are two people whose value to me and to the compliment that I was in charge of on Voyager was more important in the end. I think this is how I weighed it out than the merging of the two into a new person, Tuvix, whom, as I recall had uh, some rather uh, unsavory characteristics, did he not? <laughs> huh? did I he can't not? remember anymore. Yes, he, he probably, was, he was I think mendacious. he was devious. He was devious, he was mendacious, he was slightly mean-spirited, <laughs> and of course, none of these uh, things existed in Tuvok and Neelix, mm-hmm, two of mm-hmm. my favorite people of all time. You know, Tuvok was Janeway's right-hand man, her conscience, so to mm-hmm. speak, and Neelix was her soul. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm not going <laughs> to... No, end of but franchise. He, but he no, did, no, no. But he did, but Tuvix did make a very, very good case for his own life. Well, that's the beauty of Star Trek, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The compelling argument, uh, wherever it resides. Security to the bridge. Commander, you're going to stand by and do nothing while she commits murder. What? Mr. Ayala! Yes. Lieutenant Paris. You. Doesn't anyone see that this is wrong? Now, in the episode Infinite Regress, what happens is that Seven of Nine displays multiple personalities. And uh, I think what she's doing is... uh, Were they amusing? Well, some of them were, but they were basically... She was recapitulating a lot of the people that she had absorbed as a Borg over the years. And it was... uh, you know, it was a combination of comedy and anguish and, and certainly an opportunity for that actress 
for Jerry Ryan to uh, have a chance to stretch a bit. Stuff. You ladies have seen Discovery, is that right? Yes. And? Have you? No. Trisha, tell me what you thought. Tell me the truth, I... ladies. <laughs> I think that pilots are hard no matter what. As a preamble to saying that I wasn't over the moon about this pilot, but I'm going to give it a chance because I have a lot of faith that the show is in the hands of folks who both love the franchise and want to use it to say something in this moment where there's a lot to say. So I'm going to keep watching for sure. But I feel like pilots are just really hard. There's a lot of exposition, and this suffered from that as well. Well, I understand that the lead is not the captain, but... Not yet. I don't, I don't know if you want spoilers or not, Kate. I don't know. I don't know that I'll, I'll watch it, because I will say this to you. And I'll say it, I'll bet that Patrick Stewart and, I, uh, and Shatner would, would back me on this. Uh, when you've done your own seven years of Star Trek, uh, and you've had your own starship, and you've had your <laughs> own very long and exciting and life-changing journey, it's so dramatic and so impactful on your life that you're not uh, eager to examine uh, other iterations of what you have just accomplished. It's a kind of uh, privacy. It's a kind of uh, possessiveness. And it's certainly a terrible pride. And I think uh, all the captains who've done certainly seven years, Shatner uh, aside, uh, feel, feel, probably feel that sense of ownership, and they don't want it infringed upon. I'm glad it's out there. I'm delighted it's there. It speaks well to Star Trek, to the, to the world of science fiction, and to the continuance of this conversation. But uh, I think we as captains are, are almost unduly private about our singular experiences. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kate, we will, of course, keep watching to see what happens next to your character Red on Orange is the New Black. I want to make sure folks know that you have an excellent memoir, which actually we talked about a while back on Nerdette. That's called Born with Teeth. Everyone should check that out. Thank you. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Captain Janeway for taking a little time today. It was I'm delighted to. It was great to talk about all things Star Trek. I will come to you again. I have another book coming out, so I hope to visit <laughs> Anytime. you again. You're welcome at WBZ anytime here in Chicago. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Brooks. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Coming up after the break, Professor Brooke Gladstone has some very important Star Trek-related homework for you. Did you just give her an honorary doctorate in yeah, Star man. Trek? Don't you think that's fair? Yeah, I think she should have an honorary doctorate in Star Trek. I do have some questions about what is the difference between Trekkie and Trekker? Semantics. <laughs> Fair enough. You're listening to Nerdette. And now, homework. There are certain episodes of the original Star Trek that are cultural markers for our time. Frank Gorshin as the man from a planet where one side of their face is black and the other side is white. And depending on whether you have the black or the white on the right or the left, you're either you know, you either live in dignity and in relative affluence or you're treated like dirt. So, an obvious metaphor. There are somewhere, 
I'm really fond of the time travel episodes. Yeah. The ones where people flip back and forth. I mean, if you if you want to know fundamental outlines, you can always go to the first episodes of every iteration where they lay out the characters. But it really depends what you want. You want to know what people are talking about. You want to puzzle over some of the ethical questions, some of the questions about the conundrums of time. It's such a huge canon. It's almost like asking, so where would you suggest people begin in English literature? (laughs) (laughs) I know there's an answer there, but there are trekkers who are far more expert than I am who could answer that question. Brooke Gladstone, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette to talk about all things Star Trek. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Trisha, after listening to this homework, I have to tell you I've spent a lot of time thinking about Brooke's proposition that the question about starting Star Trek is sort of like, I would like to learn more about English literature. Where should I begin? Yes. And I don't have any answers, unfortunately. About Star Trek or about where to begin in English literature? About the English literature. I just, com- yeah, now we're Ugh. talking about English literature. But what I would like to suggest. I just made a terrible sound at just the <laughs> phrase English, English literature? literature. Oh, man, I love English literature for sure. I avoided English lit so hard in high oh. school that I dual enrolled in my community college so that I could take world literature. That's funny. Instead. I kind of did that with gym class and I ended up taking correspondence bowling. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Yeah, oh, I never told you that, huh? What is correspondence bowling? You pretend to bowl. It was weird. What? Well, I mean, most people actually bowled. I pretended to bowl. So it wasn't pantomime bowling? Oh, no. No, you're supposed to go to a real bowling alley and stuff, but a couple other smart, lazy friends and I figured out how to pretend to bowl. You're such a Hufflepuff. It's terrible. I know. I'm the most Hufflepuff. It's true. But what I would like to recommend the humans do, even if it's not Star Trek, is like try some sci-fi. If you're one of those people who says that sci-fi is not for you, just like check out a couple episodes of something that involves outer space. That I'm so happy homework. to hear you say that. Right? I love outer space so yeah, much. Yeah, it's really good. Also, it's quite possible that season eight of Game of Thrones will end up in space. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> You never know, right? Uh, can the ice dragon, because yeah, exactly. it doesn't get cold, fly yep. through the atmosphere? I think all dragons end up in space, because why not? I mean, several <laughs> the reasons why me, not. I wish I could describe the reasons why the not of your head are that they are cold-blooded creatures, and it would be difficult for them to be in the colds of space. That's true. I think they would be fine in the part where things are almost on fire, that part of getting through the atmosphere, but right, the coldness right. of space. Actual space. They breathe. So I guess, what was that guy's name from The NeverEnding Story? I mean, he wasn't a dragon either. All right, huh? we've gone off the list. <laughs> Game over. Game You're over. done. <laughs> This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Gretchen Johnson, along with Justin Bow. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our intern is B. Aldrich. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. And it is very helpful if you leave us all the stars on Apple Podcasts, like the very kind Manamona did. Thank you, Manamona, for the very nice review. Manamona? Man- Manamona? I like it. Manamona? It's good. It sounds a lot like. And what does it sound like? Manamana. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We are at Nerdat Podcast. This theme music. 
No. It's composed by the Muppets. <laughs> right. Our theme music is composed by Poddington Bear. <laughs> Do your homework. Do your homework. Can we put that in somewhere? It's a Lucille Bluth quote from Arrested Development. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Manamana. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.